0: Welcome to another episode of the La Brea Purveya, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama La Brea. I'm your purveyor, Pete Phillips. Season three, episode three, our big three, Ty, Sam, and Gavin. In 2021, these guys are just beginning to bond, but this episode will cement their commitment to each other and to saving lots of innocent Angelinos who fell in a giant hole. Let's get into it. Episode recap. 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 Ty, well, one of the two Ty's that's in 2021, is staring at himself in the mirror and washing his face at the start of this episode. He is at Oscar's Diner with Sam and Gavin. Back at the table, he's saying that they need Gavin's help. And Gavin is like, well, why don't we warn our families? But ultimately, the other two know that that's not enough. They ask him to get them into the Madura Air Force Base. But he has this big gap in his memory, so he doesn't know how he could help. And then he skips out on the guys when he pretends to go to the bathroom. I can't find an Oscars diner in or around Los Angeles, but I did find an Oscars pancake bar, which seems to be out of business. I mention this because the show does seem to incorporate real places into their story. In this case... I can see some similarities between the diner and the pancake bar, but the real place has terrible reviews on Yelp, and I'm not sure if it was ever an eat-in restaurant, which is probably why it has no online footprint since May 2021. 10,000 BC Gavin has a map, maybe, of how to get to Madura and find Maya Schmidt. He and Sam go on a reconnaissance mission to see if they can find the base. But instead, they find a heap of trouble in a big old woolly rhino. And as the rhino chases them, he suddenly explodes because he ran onto a landmine. The rhino is crude, oh, the rhino is crude. It turns out Gavin was feeling a little uneasy during this journey, and it was for good reason. Because there may be traps along the way. Or maybe a soldier with a gun is enough to slow them down. Of course he is. So this soldier ties Sam and Gavin to a tree, and then he hears something and leaves to investigate. Through blocking, we see a figure enter the scene, and we know that it's Maya, but they're just toying with us a little bit, and we love it because we live off of these music cues that spike near commercial breaks. In 2021, Sam and Ty set out to find Gavin, but Ty is distracted by the state of his affairs in the original timeline. When he and Sam split up, Ty goes to his ex-wife, not one of the bars that Gavin is suspected to be at. Now, I'm not questioning Ty's integrity, but don't forget, he's married at this point in time to Para, and he doesn't seem to miss her at all, which I feel like is unfortunate. He could at least say, I miss Para once. But here... He seeks out his ex-wife and attempts to counsel her in her grief. It turns out that she likes to drink as much as Gavin, which may be why Ty is taking things so hard on the Gavin front. Ty carried a lot of guilt to 10,000 BC, but now we're discovering why. Because his wife had a drinking problem, and he seems to have not supported her in the way that she needed. Quite the opposite, actually. The tension here makes me think that Sophie may have died or been harmed before the whole adventure started. I'm not sure that's true. Within the walls of the fort, Lucas is brushing a horse, and Veronica is playfully hitting on him. Lucas wants to get on the leadership council. Veronica seems unsure about this at first, but then she is instantly dedicated to this cause. After Maya frees Sam and Gavin, she hides them from the chopper patrols. She's been out looking for her daughter, Petra, who we know. But it seems like Maya doesn't know that Petra has been kidnapped by a helicopter. Gavin says that he needs some answers from her. Is it, how does time travel work? No? Is it, how do we know each other? No. Is it, who is responsible for this whole entire fiasco? No. Of course not. It's, where is my wife? I got a message saying you were the key to helping me find my wife, Eve. You know where she is? Kevin, I have no idea. I didn't know your wife was missing. No, 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 no. I was very specifically given your call sign. Maya lays out the whole situation that really helps us understand exactly what's going on. It seems that the government wanted to master and weaponize time travel for the simplest of goals imagine your unit was bombed a tragedy but what if you could send a plane back in time and destroy the enemy before they attacked it would change war forever so don't use time travel to prevent the war or battle from starting just do it so that you get your soldiers back if they die very benevolent maya helped these people build a quote biological cocktail that induces targeted memory loss, end quote. I don't know about you, but it feels like they're laying on the sci-fi pretty hard now. In fact, as early as 2009, researchers were able to trace and destroy neurons involved in supporting the specific type of memory that they were trying to erase. These neurons were targeted by using replication-defective herpes simplex virus to increase CREB proteins in them. As a result, the neurons were activated in fear memory or testing far more often in both wild-type and CREB-deficient mice. For the study, transgenic mice were used that allowed use of diphtheria toxin to preferentially target cells that were overexpressing CREB, since these were the cells more likely involved with fear memories. This caused the erasure of the targeted memory, but allowed the mice to still form new fear memories, which confirmed that the cells were involved only in storing fear memories, not forming them. Because she's one of our good guys, Maya wanted to blow the whistle on the project. The whole thing. But whoever's responsible found out, and they basically exiled her and Petra to 10,000 BC. And maybe, just maybe, if she helps Gavin recover his memories... He'll know more about what's going on, and will be able to help her. Elsewhere, while hunting, Izzy tells Layla she misses mint chip ice cream. you're such a basic bitch. Apparently these two were supposed to meet a larger hunting group, but they either didn't make it on time, or the rest of the group didn't show up. So now it's two teenage girls versus a prehistoric boar. Let's rock. But the boar finds them first, and Layla pushes Izzy out of the way and jumps in the other direction, and she lands in a tar pit. Uh-oh. This is kind of hilarious because she was supposed to have fallen into it, but she is actually standing in the middle of it with her hair and face completely untouched by Tar. I'm sure the actor really appreciated this on the day of shooting, even though it looks a little silly on camera. Anyway, how is Izzy going to handle this? Moreover, how much bigger is her sassy head going to be once she succeeds? She tries the old pull-you-out-with-a-stick routine, but that doesn't work. And she won't leave Layla because she thinks that a boar or a tiger will eat her. I don't know, maybe those animals were strong enough to take a dip in liquid tar and then eat their lunch out of it? That makes complete sense to me. The two end up bonding while they try to figure a way out of the pit. I think Izzy is trying to make a fire or like maybe trying to smoke signal with a fire. She's crazy! It turns out Layla also lost her brother. Hers is dead and Josh is lost in time. But it's one more way that they can bond. For a moment, I wanted to hear her say that her dead brother was Tammet, but we weren't so lucky to get that much of a soap opera here. Back at the fort, Veronica is canvassing for Lucas's upcoming election, or so we're led to believe. Sky people and fort people are getting along, but Ruth tries to plant doubt in Veronica. She's basically saying that you are blinded by love for Lucas, and that Lucas really isn't the person who should be going up for this position. She's polite, but almost in a way that feels like she's sort of brushing off Veronica. But then she says she wants to talk to her about something else. And we find out, when she talks to Lucas later, that Ruth wants Veronica on the council seat, not Lucas. Say what? Lucas is surprised at this development, and he says a few wrong things along the way. We get a glimpse of old Veronica, but she leaves with a smile, because she's excited about this new opportunity. You go, girl! Ty finds Sam and Gavin at a bar, where Gavin doesn't seem to want anything to do with these guys. Ty uses his situation in 2021 to frame up Gavin's, and soon enough, he cracks the van after telling him about his ex-wife's drinking. It turns out Sophie, not the Sophie that we know and Love, Sophia, Nathan, will drink, drive, and end up blindsiding a young family's SUV. This is probably one of the things that contributed to Ty's suicidal tendencies in 10,000 BC. Yeah, he tried to kill himself. But ultimately, it does take Ty violating bro code and calling Gavin a coward to get him on board. Well, that's another way to play it. We pick up with Maya as she goes and searches for some shrooms and herbs. And she says... When I've picked is poison. Ingest too much and you'll slip into cardiac arrest. But native people have been using this fungus for centuries to open their minds. I want to expand your mind and guide you to the memories you lost. Oh my God, we love tension. So she basically is going to brew up some ayahuasca. And Gavin is so desperate that he's just going to do whatever she says, regardless of what Sam thinks about the medical factors. Still, Sam is at least there on standby, just in case anything goes wrong. At long last, Izzy finally gets a great idea. Make a rope. So she fashions a rope and ties it around a tree. Layla catches the rope and starts to pull herself out on her own, because Izzy has got to kill a charging boar. Hey, what's going on? She's going to eat me! Izzy hits it, but not in a place that's going to take it down. And it looks like she's going to get run over by this boar. But a tar-covered Layla is the one who gets the kill shot. This is important for her character, and if you watched it, you know. But if you didn't, it's not really that important. At Sophie's AA meeting, this is Ty's ex-wife. She is spotlighted by the leader, which I feel like is unfortunate, because, like, why would you do that? She goes, "'Hey, we haven't seen you in a while, Sophie. You want to tell us why?' Don't put somebody on blast like that, especially when they're going for recovery. Anyway, Gavin helps her dodge this bullet because he moseys up to the podium and he has a monologue about his struggles with alcohol and his need for help. So in the next scene, Sophie accepts Ty's help and she doesn't end up getting drunk and hurting a young family. Instead, she's appreciative of this new Ty and she wishes him well, despite the whole brain tumor thing. Is that still a thing? In 10,000 BC, Gavin is so high. He's like intense high, though. It doesn't look fun at all. In a vision, he sees a key code to a safe, but what's in the safe is blurry. He begins to seize, and then we go to commercial. When we come back, Izzy is by his side as he rests within the walls of the fort. Sam tells her to go off while he stands watch. Gavin wakes and says that he feels like he has a 10-beer hangover. In October of 2023, Vice reported on John May, a 25-year-old UK native who drank 10 beers a day for 200 days. He live-streamed many pints on his TikTok. When asked about the hangovers, he shrugged it off. You can't get a hangover unless you're sober. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism five drinks in around two hours is considered binge drinking for men and comes with a number of health risks including changes to the brain liver disease and heart problems as his memory becomes clearer gavin sees a computer chip that he's taking out of the safe he also sees a tattoo which looks familiar to us because it was on the arm of the soldier who tied them to a tree earlier this episode the suspicion becomes that whoever sent gavin to maya really just wants the chip that gavin may have hidden they don't really want to help gavin find eve outside by the fire izzy and layla sit and ambiguously confess their mutual feelings for each other and they almost kiss but they don't i guess misunderstood was code for sexually curious all along disappointingly after all of this work in 2021 to bring gavin around he says there's a way to get us onto the base i'm gonna find it I mean, the way they were playing this, I sort of thought he already had a way into the base. Not that it was a possibility that he might have one. Anyway, they roll out in Sam's BMW while somebody, I'm just going to go ahead and guess it's Gavin's sister, tails them in a Hyundai. She's got a gun, too. So this is going to get dicey. Pew, 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 pew. What just happened? I'm taking this part of the show to address something that's been bothering me for the last three episodes. What is going on with Lucas's t-shirt? Why is there a little white square stitched onto the left breast of the shirt? It looks like the dumbest fashion trend I've ever seen. And I thought, like, they would eventually address this in some way, but they don't. So I had to take to the internet. There are entire websites dedicated to identifying what a character is wearing in a TV show, and I discovered that, in this instance, the square is on purpose. The square is white-on-white stitching of the logo of Acne Studios, a, quote, multidisciplinary luxury fashion house based in Stockholm, Sweden. They specialize in men and women's ready-to-wear fashion, footwear, accessories, and denim. When founded in 1996, the label derived its name from the creative collective Acne, initially an acronym for Associated Computer Nerd Enterprises, and later a backronym of ambition to create novel expressions. You can purchase the type of shirt that Lucas is wearing for the low, low price of $170 from AcneStudios.com. Now, in case you're going, I need to see this shirt again, if it costs $170, it is just a solid t-shirt with a little logo on the left breast. The embroidered square actually consists of two dots and a line, which basically make the neutral face emoji, but in a square instead of a circle. They commonly use the same color stitch as the fabric that it's stitched onto. Armed with this background information, I am prepared to finally ask, does a Coke dealer from 2021 really spend $150 on a t-shirt? That's a very good question. I don't know about you, but I like drunk Gavin a lot more than 10,000 BC Gavin. He's not so sanctimonious, and he feels less rehearsed. Except for the AA speech, of course. A chat with Ty and this guy has grown more in a few hours than 10,000 BC Gavin has in the months that they've been in the hole. If we accept that 10,000 BC people are not getting the memories of the events from this new timeline in 2021, then Gavin should stay the same in 10,000 BC. I don't mean to make light of alcoholism and the damage it can do, but I do wonder, will this sudden turnaround stick? And will Gavin be of sound mind to sneak his new friends into Madura Air Force Base? That's a very good question. Why'd you have to pick Sophie? You already had a Sophia in the show, and you know how much I miss her. You couldn't come up with, like, another name? The name Sophia means wisdom, and I'm not sure how wise either Sophia was in the show. So, listener, do you think this is just a lack of creativity? Or is it possible that the writers forget season one entirely? That's a very good question. I really feel for Lucas and Veronica's ordeal in this episode. It's not hard to be happy for a partner when they succeed, but it is hard when they have excelled at something that you hoped to achieve. You're being hit with two emotions at once, disappointment and joy. Lucas will have Veronica's ear to speak about what he thinks matters, but will he keep the people of the former clearings respect and their trust in him as a leader? And if they don't, Will that make Lucas feel, well, reduced over time? I feel bad for him because he responded just as I would. No one practices for receiving news about something that they never even registered as a possibility, so they can never have the words ready to respond properly. He was also focused on being considered for a seat on the council, but Veronica was offered the seat. It went from something to be earned to something that was given away. Lucas sticks his foot in his mouth when he says, why would she pick you out of the blue? but it's a valid question. Veronica can't hear it that way because she's so happy about someone noticing her skills. It seems like she feels like Lucas's question undercuts this newfound confidence that she has. I believed Lucas when he said that he was actually happy for her, but they left one another with a bit of conflict in the air. I hope it doesn't turn into a big thing because I like Lucas and happy Veronica together, not to mention the whole thing with, you know, a newborn baby on the way. I personally don't adjust to change really well, and Veronica's taking on two big ones with this new job and a baby. I guess from all of this, I'm thinking, why did you introduce this narrative with three episodes left in the series? That's a very good question. Where would Gavin hide a chip if he was part of a quantum time travel project? Would he actually hide it in the time that he lives in? Certainly, if you were looking for your car keys in your dining room, it would be easier than if you were looking in your whole house then your whole town, then the whole world. Introduce time into this, and you are exponentially increasing all of the places that your keys could be. Gavin's lucky he remembered the chip exists at all, but he's going to remember where he hid it in space and time? That's a very good question. And just while we're on the same page, the woman in the Hyundai is almost definitely Gavin's sister, right? There's no one left in the preseason rumors, so I feel like it's got to be her. And we suspect that she's looking for the chip, but Why? I find this a little funny because this past summer, TV Line reported that a recent Instagram post from principal cast member Ian Mackin, of course Gavin, seemed to stir up some theories that lead Natalie Z may have been quietly replaced with The Offering's Emily Wiseman, as the two actors bear more than a passing resemblance to one another. This wasn't true, of course, but it's very Freudian that Gavin would marry a lookalike of his sister. Of course, remember they're not blood relatives because he was adopted from the future past in 1988, so this may be James's pure-blood daughter, and you know he's got that evil mastermind blood. So, what can we expect from her? That's a very good question. What do I do now? This week, we're introducing a new segment called, What Do I Do Now? This is an advice portion of the show, so let's hear from our very first caller. Dear Purveya. I live in a pretty secluded place, so I don't meet new people very often, but recently I met someone who I can't get off my mind. The first time I saw her, she was using my bow to shoot arrows at a target. Boy, was she bad at it. I picked on her to try and flirt, but I'm not very experienced and stuff like that, so I guess I came across as maybe aggressive. Then, when I asked her for my bow back, she refused to give it to me. I think this is called negging or something. Whatever it is, it's working. Her mom is making us hang out so she can learn to be better at archery. What can I do to see if she's into me? Will be gone warrior. Will be gone warrior, I definitely hear you. It's hard to know if someone is interested in you, but I have a surefire way to find out, as long as you're prepared for whatever the result may be. First, get the person alone. Maybe on a walk or on a hunt where you're both armed. And then, whether on purpose or by accident, drop yourself into the middle of a tar pit. I realize this sounds drastic, but just try it. If the person is interested in you, they're going to try to get you out. And if they're not, they're going to let you drown. Now, there's a third option where they would leave to get help. That means they're interested in you but not enough to stay during crisis, which might be something that you're looking for in a partner. And the fourth option would be staying by your side, but doing something that's not very constructive, like trying to start a fire with sticks. But weirdly, the fourth option is the best for you. Because you'll have time when you're stuck in a pit and they're trying to start a fire for you to share personal stories about your lives and maybe find common ground. Between having things in common and surviving trauma, you'll definitely be bonded to this person. Of course, if they don't help you at all, then you'll die in a tar pit. But think of how the future will find you and your bones perfectly preserved in tar. If you have a question that you'd like some advice on, contact us at yallheardpod at gmail.com or call us at 570 wad one Digging Deeper At the end of this week's episode, the dedication was to Jimmy Castillo, who worked with the La Brea production team since he was a spiritual leader for the Tongva people, a people indigenous to the American Southwest, and were dominant people of what came to be known as the Los Angeles Basin. You may recall the Fort people will become these descendants in a way. The Tongva were featured in La Brea through Para, a Tongva Native American who speaks perfect modern English and lives in the fort. Par is played by Tongva actress Tonatsin Carmelo. Castillo died on April 21, 2023, according to a GoFundMe set up by his friends and family to help pay for his funeral service. In addition to his spiritual work with his people, Castillo was also a Marine Corps veteran. He served with the Marines from 1960 to 1965 and received the Warrior's Medal of Valor for his time in the Vietnam War. Before his death, Castillo had often worked with the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. In 2021, he was asked to take part in the opening ceremony for the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. He and his wife, Jeanette, also received President Barack Obama's Volunteer Service Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016 for their service to the Native American Indian community. The last time there was a dedication at the end of an episode, it was in season one, and it was to honor a fallen stuntwoman and her son. In the media reviews. There was an article that popped up in my newsfeed called What the Hell Is Going On in La Brea? And I was very excited to read it. It's by Dustin Rolls and it's posted on Pajiba.com. I was extremely disappointed when I finally read it because Dustin stopped watching La Brea three episodes into season two and he decided to just pop in and check it out after missing 15 episodes. He says things like, for reasons I don't fully understand, like, all of the motivations here are unheard of. But dude, you skipped 15 episodes. Of course you have no idea what's going on. I've watched them all, and I'm hanging on by a thread of understanding. Meanwhile, Collider interviewed Ian Mackin. He says, quote, The final three episodes are nutty, but they're also awesome. They're my favorite three of the whole show, and it coalesces in a super fun way. It's great. Of the finale, he says, quote, They did this massive episode and really went for it. There was a certain freedom with what we did, because we had to be finished in time for the strike. We knew everyone was trying their hardest to really pull the last bits of juice out of the characters and the moment. We just had an absolute blast. It was like the last day of summer camp, and everyone was having a great time. We knew we were creating a really interesting episode, and the crew and the cast just went for it. It was this big, extravagant bonanza of chaos, and it was just so much fun. For me the La Brea Purvea, this sounds great because I love all types of art where people are having a good time putting it together. And aside from a few very obvious things, I'm sure that the network sort of just let these people go at it for the last season, as long as they wrapped up some plot points that they introduced, of course. So this quote alone makes me really look forward to the next three episodes, even though they're the last ones. Thanks for joining me this week for the La Brea Purvea. If you like what you're listening to, you can rate the show somewhere. If you have any questions or ideas, you can also reach out via email at yallheardpod at gmail.com. That's the email address for the parent podcast of this show, Y'all Heard. If you have a dollar to spare, we're also on Patreon at slash y'allheard. Otherwise, take a moment this week to turn to your loved ones and say, I would be proud of you if you ended up on a leadership council.